Be the right club. Be the right club today. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything different? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Solly here. Got an interview coming shortly from this morning with Keith Pelly. Keith has... uh, been silent for quite some time and recently has uh, been able to speak a little bit more freely. We get into why that might be, and uh, I threw everything I possibly could think of in terms of all the all the ongoings in golf and the DP World Tour and uh, and basically all he's been through as commissioner of that tour over the last several years. And I think it'll help uh, help shine a lot of light into some decisions they've had to make and how they've made them, why they've made them, and uh, greatly appreciated his candor in this interview. This is brought to you by our friends at Omni. We've been talking a lot about Omni Resorts and hotels and how they have 12 golf destinations with 25 courses from coast to coast. We've talked about their resorts, how they have it all. Great golf, sophisticated resorts, spa, food, pools, all that. We've talked about how Omni takes their golf seriously, top architects, continued investments. But we got to talk about Omni, PGA Frisco, and Fields Ranch. Omni PGA Frisco opens to the public next month, but it's open for booking now at omnihotels.com slash golf. The Omni PGA Frisco Resort is one of the most highly anticipated golf resorts to open and will be sun up to sun down golf. They got a pair of 18-hole top-notch golf courses. There's Field Ranch East by uh, Gil Hance, which I got a chance to play a few months ago. It's fantastic. Fields Ranch West by Bo Welling. And the PGA District also includes the Swing, which is a 10-hole par 3 course designed by Bo Welling and Gil Hance. The Dance Floor, which is the putting course designed by Gil. It's unbelievably, it's enormous. The Lounge by Topgolf. PGA Coaching Center, the Ice House Beer Garden with Hitting Bays. You're never going to want to leave this place. Plus a brand new 500-room resort with 2,300 square feet, four-bedroom ranch houses, four pools, spa, and dining. There's something for everyone here. Book a trip and get out there to tee it up at omnihotels.com slash NLU. Again, that's omnihotels.com slash NLU. Let's get to Keith Pelly. All right, Keith, first question you're willing to talk now that the court ruling is behind you. Can you paint the picture for what it's been like for you personally from a legal standpoint this last year or so? What are you advised to do? What have you had to participate in? And what has that whole process been like? (laughs) Um, Well, I don't think I've been through anything like it in my 35 years. I've been in the the media or, or sports for 35 years. And I don't think I've been through anything like it, uh, but um, but that's that's what makes life fun: new adventures and new opportunities to to look at your business differently. So, um, yeah, I think Sully. I think at times it's been uh, it's been tricky in terms of it's been it's been tough, as you can well imagine. You've wanted to to speak out more than uh, than than you could. Uh, so, you know, now we're having this conversation, so things are changed. We had a real favorable ruling. Uh, but at the, at the same time, I think, I think the biggest challenge that, that we've had, or when you asked me about personally, and the way I kind of look at it is, is this has been a story that, that has been really played out in the media. It has been very, uh, a, a provocative story and, you know, having, having been, a journalist for so many years and having run newsrooms and run, you know, magazines, I totally understand and appreciate 
uh, how really uh, interesting and lively uh, this story could be. Uh, I've also seen the rumors fly and how you know everybody takes a takes a punt on uh, on a story and just hopes that it comes to fruition which has been uh, which has been challenging to sit back and not actually give people the 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 truth and then you add then you add social to it sully and then it becomes a whole new thing uh, because social has now allowed people to have a voice and to to all uh, you know in some ways uh, look at themselves as as uh, as journalists and uh, and as a, as a result to sit back and watch that has been has been has been challenging without being able to actually say wow this is actually the truth this is this is the the true story and I I remember my boys playing college in um, in the U S now and I went to see them play up in uh, in Connecticut and one of the um, one of his players, uh, his teammates said to me, you know, Mr. Pelly, how are you? And I said, well, what do you mean, James? He said, well, how are you? I said, why are you asking? But thanks for asking. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing just fine. And he said, because you're absolutely uh, really, really getting criticized on social. And I, and I laughed and I said, oh, that's, that's, that's fine. I said, what are you looking at? And he said, Twitter. And I said, well, you have to you have to look at Twitter. I look at a lot of Twitter as graffiti with punctuation. I look at um, uh, I look at the reputable uh, parts of Twitter as something that really is a, a freedom of speech and a great opportunity to share opinions. But it is um, sometimes when there has been things that have been said out there, I have thick skin, so I'm totally uh, comfortable with it. But I've always had the philosophy is that everyone that works here at the uh, at the tour, the jersey, the name on the jersey is the same. We all wear the same jersey. We're all the same teammates. So if you if you praise one of your teammates, you build everybody up. But at the same time, if you criticize one of your teammates, you criticize the entire organization. So the only challenge that I've really had in not speaking or not talking out has been what that has meant to uh, to our staff. And that's been the only real challenge I've had uh, Sully in it, other than the fact that there are so many just rumors out there that are just ill-founded. Hmm. Well, does that make sense? Well, it you? does. It does. I'm looking forward to kind of cutting through a lot of that stuff because a lot of us that comment on this are, you know, we're working off the information that we have, and yeah, I, and I, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, and it's it's tough, and I said it, and it's tough, and because it is such a it's such a, a story that generates so many passionate opinions and thoughts and 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 you know like you know i spent last week in the in the player lounge in in uh, in japan at the very first uh, uh, in 51 years the first time we've ever had a tournament in japan which was just unbelievable uh, but you know the you have to go into the player lounge and and kind of uh say okay well that's that's not factual that's uh, this is the way it worked. Here's the real story. But one of one of the challenges and is has been the communication to the members, and that is that has been a frustration, Sully. And one of the one of the frustrations is is that in the communication to the members, and the best way to communicate to the members is either through a full player meeting or more importantly, through through uh, through social through email, 
really through email. Uh, however, if you send that out, I know where this is going. <laughs> you have to send it to the entire membership. So then it ends up very quickly in the media, uh, or it ends up very quickly uh, being interpreted in a different way by somebody from Lyft. Because they're getting those emails as well. Because they have to get it as well. And so then you're then you're conscious of what you can actually communicate. Yep. So I had this conversation with Richie Ramsey, who said, you know, Richie and I spoke for about an hour in the player lounge. He's a he's a real smart guy with a with a business degree. I have a ton of time for him. Uh, and we sat down and I said, Richie, I said, I know you said that you learned more about the tour from a Paul McGinley story. And he said, yeah, 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 I did. Uh, and we then spent an hour and he goes, I totally get it. Totally understand it. And I said, the good news is now with uh, the sports resolution uh, hearing behind us uh, and, and us being able to enforce our rules and regulations created by the members for our members to protect the members, now we can communicate a little bit more. And so I've got a player meeting coming up, a full player meeting at the Betfred British Masters. I'm going to start having groups of player meetings to give them a little bit more information. But it's been, it's been tough. It it, it has been. Uh, the it, it, you know the lack of the ability to communicate has not only frustrated me. It's frustrated our entire communication department, and it's it's frustrated you know our board because they 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 know the real story. They know everything behind it. Uh, but, you know, with with so many uh, legal uh, implications pending, you know, the communication was uh, and it, it was as, as minimal as possible. And, and I'll, I'll still, you know, I can only talk about certain things, but I uh, I can can at least chat now. You can at least shine some light on the process and what that's all been like. And I think I want to talk about the, the resolution decision, and I, but I want to first. I want you to, and maybe this is this is part of the explain it like I'm five part of the of, of the conversation. But I think a lot of people that follow sports maybe don't understand the actual role of a commissioner. So I would like I'm curious your definition of what your job is. Who are you? You're mandated to perform blank, and you're mandated by blank. How does that? How would you describe your your job? Okay, I would I would describe my job as I, I work for the members. Yes, I work for the players. Um, I report directly to the board. The board is predominantly made up of ex-players. They are put in position by the tournament committee. The tournament committee decides a lot of the rules and regulations, but they also appoint the board. So the board represents the tournament committee that represents the membership. So at the end, this is an organization run by the members. So I work for the members. So as a result, you have to look at it and say, um, your objective is to always act in the best interest of the members. Now, understanding that there are a plethora of different types of members, depending upon where you are in the world rankings, what ethnic background you're from, what age you're at, what category you're at. If you've just won three events or you're just coming out of Q school, you're coming out of the challenge tour, so when you have on the main tour, we have three tours, obviously, the, the DP World uh, Tour, which is the, the main tour. We have the Challenge Tour, uh, which is our feeder tour into the DP World Tour. And then you have the Legends Tour. And so all three of those represent over 
425 members. It's 286 members this year on the uh, on the DP World Tour. In order in order to understand them, you have to understand every single little vertical that they're in. And then you have to try to horizontally integrate your strategy to make sure that each vertical is touched. But it's very difficult because you can make one decision and, and somebody can say, oh, that's fantastic, while it isn't as beneficial to somebody else. So as a member's organization, it's, it's really, really difficult to get 100% buy-in on your strategy. And that is, that is what the board is there for. The board is representing the members. That's why we have independent board members, but the majority of the board, uh, the voting is, is controlled uh, by the members. Does that make sense? It does. That, that's where I think, you know, for a long time, I, uh, I I struggled with the connection, right? Or I, I would say, you know, I think golf fans where you're si- where they're sitting, see it could see it potentially differently of what they think your your job is, or Jay Monahan's job is, or any commissioner's job is. Which is again, you work for a membership organization, right? So it's not necessarily in your mandate to say like, hey, we are trying to create the best entertainment product possible. You are trying to do that within the constraints of what you uh, what you're responsible for, but at the same time, you are responsible for running the membership organization for the members. Yeah, but Sully, in in order in order in order to reach the objective. So yes. then when you look at the number the number one and the number two objective uh, to the membership would be uh, prize funds and playing opportunities, right? And depending upon where you are, if you're in a, if you're if you've just graduated from the Q school or the challenge tour, you want to maximize your playing opportunities to get to get your playing card which would maximize your revenue, right? This is their this is their livelihood. And in order to do that, you need a really compelling product. Yep. You need an entertainment product because that's the only way you're going to drive your revenue. You're going to drive your revenue from from a media perspective and from a sponsorship side. So, it is it is critical that you have to look at all facets of your business to make sure they're firing on all cylinders in order to generate as much revenue. But one of the things that as a member's organization, which is different than a, than a profit organization, and it's a fundamental difference is, let's say that we wanted to invest in a business. Let's say we, we, we like the way you're going with no laying up. We like your podcast. We like your, your revenue model. We like your merchandise. We like it. And we'd like to extend it into a number of different platforms. And we would like to invest into no laying up. Let's say that, that we wanted to do that. And, and you, we're, we're acting completely unreasonable and asked for an obscene amount of money of some like 20 million to invest in it. So let's say the challenge with us doing that, even if we believed it was a good business that could drive profitability down the road, or we could take that revenue and take it from 20 to 100 million, a lot of the players at that particular time might question and say, okay, well, I'm 39, I'm 41 years old. Why are we investing money you know, into another entity that will help five years down the road when I'm no longer playing. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so a lot of players have said, I don't want you to have any free cash flow in the bank. I want you, I want you to put it all into prize fund and all into generating new tournaments for playing opportunities. So you have to have a, a, a phenomenal product in order to drive the revenue to be able to increase your prize funds and increase your playing opportunities. Yep. 
that's 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 the business in a in a nutshell. And that makes all the sense in the world. I think you've just illustrated that point uh, that I was I was working around to try to make in terms of you work for the players, right? And what the players want is your job to to execute. Now finding out there is no bottom line summary of what quote unquote the players think, right? You're dealing with a million different opinions and a million different stakeholders and it that I see as a huge challenge of your job is to, you know, golfers are golfers. They have a lot of experience with with tours. They don't necessarily, I would say, have a worldly business experience and understand all of the all of the stuff that you have to try to balance to create revenue for them. No, no, and, and some and some do. Some want to get deep sure. into it and and look at it and say, okay, tell me how it works. Other other players are just worrying about making a cut and hitting a five iron as flush as they can. Right. Right. It really, it really depends on where you are. Like, as I said, every single player is at a different point of their career. Some are coming near the end of it. Some are just beginning. Right. And, and some, some have aspirations to, to get to the PGA tour. Some have, there are, there are players that say, I just want to play here in Europe and have a good career. And if I can finish you know, a hundredth in the in the DP world rankings and make make four or five hundred thousand a year, giddy up, I'm really happy. So it really depends on where you where you are in the whole uh, ecosystem within within our organization, if that makes sense. So there's been a lot of chat about like, you know, our 10 cards, for example. Like this week in in Japan, I must have had 15 conversations about those cards. Uh, about okay, so tell me exactly where the category is. Where is it ahead of the corn ferry? Where where exactly is? So we get five hundred thousand to start with. Yes. Now what happens if we go over and we don't do well? There's a there's a safety net back. Uh, so there is so much conversation because there are so many members. There's one one member I talked to this this week. I said, how many are you playing? He said, I'm playing in all of them because I'm really getting close to uh, to getting into the place where I can potentially get a PGA tour card. And, you know, you sit there and you look at it and you go over the last seven years, an average of five players have left to go to the the PGA tour. So what we've done is formalize a pathway and uh, that has been there all along, but now there's 10 and, you know, the members in the tournament committee and the board look at it a little bit different because some of the, the, the comments have been, well, you're losing your best 10 players. And I don't look at it like that at all. First of all, I look at it as a member's organization. That's what we should be doing is giving them an opportunity to go make as much money as they possibly can. And the 500,000 that is guaranteed on the, on the PGA tour, you know, is pretty, pretty exciting for them. But I also do then believe that you're building more of the younger players as global stars and they'll all come back and play. So the more European tour players that can play globally, they will come back and play will be a strength to our tour. And as I've said all along, I, I believe it is, it is, you know, that, that pathway, which is one component of our, of our business as, as golf's global tour is, uh, is phenomenal for those, for those young members. And it was, uh, it was, it was terrific having the conversations with the players this week in Japan about it. That's it's really interesting because I think it's there's again a lot of external factors and a lot of uh, a lot of big picture stuff that goes into the, you know the emphasis and the decision on the the strategic alliance and yeah. 
what you've just, again, describe why I kind of wanted to start with what how you define your job is through part of your job as commissioner of the DP World Tour, you have given your members access to the the, the, the riches that are the PGA Tour, which is a, a, a spigot of, of cash that has been pretty outrageous, both in how they're guaranteeing your purses, right? You know, if there's the perception that yeah. you're losing your top talent, you were kind of losing it already, as, as you said. Now there's a formal pathway in here. And not only is the PGA Tour guaranteeing your purses, so you're, the risk of losing that talent is minimal because, you you know, they're still going to have revenue. And also your members have a chance to earn that money on the PGA Tour. Yeah, but I also believe I also believe that what, what we're really unique in and, and you know, it's 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 a shame. I know you're coming to Italy next week, but it would have been phenomenal for you to come to Kenya and and see how that galvanizes an entire nation and how how that changes the actual perception of the uh, uh, of the sport in in Kenya and the big crowds on Saturday watching the local uh, player make a, a 30 foot putt for birdie and the place go absolutely crazy and then then the uh, the former prime minister the former president cabinet ministers all show up it was it was incredible that's that's what we do but um, when you look at when you look at a player like uh, and I was saying this to somebody the other day to Adrian Moronk so Adrian Moronk, you know, is the highest ranked and the first Polish player to ever play in the Masters, play in our tour, um, played on the Challenge Tour 2017, 2018, and 2019. And then he came onto our tour. He won the, um, he finally won in 2022. He won the Irish Open. This year, he goes to the Masters. I walk into the, the clubhouse. I see a, a lady wearing a DP World Tour shirt, and I go, hmm got to go over and see her it's uh it's his mother with with uh his dad and then he sits down and you just go wow that's that's what it's all about and adrian moronk will go and go and play and hopefully he gets a chance to play and is very successful uh on the pga tour and through majors but i guarantee you adrian moronk is coming back to play guaranteed so the more so i believe there will be more top players coming back to play over the next five years based on the 10 cards but we're gonna have to wait and see we're gonna have to prove prove that theory out a quick break here to check in with our friends at course at roback active where you all know roback if you saw the social clip for this interview which was recorded in the morning you'll know that i i throw on a roback hoodie pretty much every morning these guys understand quality there's only one way to describe roback and that's best fit and best feel they're off a fresh restock of their azalea collection uh, which you saw a lot of that during our masters live shows their their performance polos are just awesome they hit different their four-way stretch is next level the material is moisture wicking to get you through a warm day on the golf course while staying wrinkle-free. The collar's nice and crisp. It doesn't bake in on you. Their performance Q-zips are a game-changer. Nothing beats rocking a Roback Q-zip for a nice morning of spring golf. They're soft, stretchy, and comfortable. Uh, and again, the performance hoodies are the stretchiest, softest hoodies in golf. Uh, if you want to be comfortable and relaxed on the course, then wear a Roback hoodie, and they're great for off the course as well. They're gaining traction big time. Uh, so go to Roback.com, R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. Use code NLU to get 20% off your first order through the end of this week. That's R-H-O-B-A-C-K. K.com 20% off polos, Q-zips, hoodies, and more with code NLU. Let's get back to Keith Pelly. So again, I think that's a great scene setter for everything that's going on and uh, a lot of stuff I wanted to ask you about, but take us back as well to, I know with the sports resolution decision that came out recently, I think you, I may need you to define that a little bit for, for our listeners, but going back even farther than that, when the sanctions began, when the, you know, the first live event happened, yeah. 
What was the decision-making process like for you guys leading up into that moment to say, here's what's going to happen if you go and play a live event, here's why, and kind of set the scene for the rules and regulations, the DP World Tour, both why, how you guys came to that decision and why it you determined that it had to be this way. Well, um, so we had we had we had three days on the on the I had three days on the stand at Sports Resolutions, uh, and if I could just send you the videotape, that would probably save you a lot of a lot <laughs> of uh, time and angst. Uh, but um, but obviously I I can't do that, so I'll try to give you a Cole's notes version. Um, so back when I started to talk to the players, you you obviously. Uh, didn't want anybody to to go play and live, but you know I understood why they wanted to go and play. Um, you know, it, it's 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 almost like, as one player said to me last week, they were in the right place at the right time and they won the lottery uh, because this is a, a moment in time that'll probably never happen again. And you can imagine some of the players that they were referring to that received you know, guaranteed easy money to play, you know, there's 48 players playing for 25 million with no cuts and, and big contracts. Um, so I, I, I understood why they, why they went, but at the same, same time, you know, the number one thing and our number uh, priority was we have, we have, we have a conflicting tournament release. We have rules and regulations and as a members organization, these are created by the members for the members to protect the members. And if you can't, if you can't enforce your rules and regulations, it really becomes problematic in running a business. And that's just not our business. It's every business and it's every sports business as well. So, um, you know, once the release requests came in, we evaluated them on a case by case basis. We looked at them with uh with our board extensively uh it wasn't it wasn't a unilateral decision that 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 i just made it was something going okay we now have a true and viable competitor in the marketplace in both the asian tour and live that are playing in our territory taking our players not not like in the past but taking them uh, significantly and they also are pseudo employees in that, you know, they they don't have the same type of freedom of speech that everybody else has. So they are now um, marketing promotional machines for the competitor. And, and that is understandable based on the fact that some of them own equity. But the only way that equity goes is at the detriment of the the dp world tour or the pga tour because the only way equity grows is if your competitor doesn't flourish right it's 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 pretty simple business philosophy um but so we had to look at it very closely we had to look at the fact that they're now playing in our market they're talking to our players they're talking to our sponsors they're talking to our broadcasters the players are not adhering to our rules and regulations and are breaking the the conflicting tournament releases. So as as a result, you know, we spent a tremendous and inordinate amount of time analyzing and and talking to players, getting their feelings on it. And and you know, our board at the end of the day 
you know, and myself recommended what to do with the uh, with the sanctions. And then they uh, they obviously appealed those sanctions, and then and then that started the whole process. Sports resolution, it's important to understand, is 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 a, an arbitration panel that was both, uh, you know, the panel was agreed to by both parties. So, you know, we we expected, you know, after that they they were awarded the stay and they they could play here, although they didn't play very very often, even though they could, uh, which is which was really really telling to us that they could play and they were only playing eight events and they didn't. Um, so. Uh, we made what we thought was a proportionate uh, penalty, and uh, and we were delighted that that it was upheld by sports resolution after a week of of uh, of debating the issue uh, hmm. uh, behind closed doors. And it's important to note this is these conflicting release policies. This is not new. This is not new to your ter- uh, rules and regulations. Not new on the PGA Tour. This is something that's known amongst players for a long long period of time. It is essential to. Uh, you're able to package the media rights and and sell sponsorships. Is that right? Yes, and 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 you know, you know, it goes back to you know a lot of people say yes, but what's the difference between the PGA Tour and and allowing them to play on Live? It's an apples to oranges comparison. You can't you can't compare the two. One it one is a competitor. One has contracted their 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 employees. They are they are like I said, marketing. Um, marketing their 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 brand um you know they're in our they're in our marketplace they're talking to our sponsors the pga tour have been partners uh you know we've both been in business for 50 years we've been we've been partners partners in the igf partners in the world golf hall of fame partners in the in uh the world golf championships we've been partners and competitors at the same time there is there is there is nothing but being competition on the other side so it's when you when you look at it and you look at it from our board and and in every aspect of it you can't you can't you can't literally compare the two they're apples to oranges comparison and uh so our conflicting tournament release is there to protect our members and that's what it was for so what happens now? What ha- what does it all mean that after this ruling, are players banned for, you know, for the audience? Are they banned from DP World Tour events? Are they fined for playing live events if they've kept their DP World Tour membership? What what happens going forward? Well, Sports Resolution, um, you know, stated stated that for for missing the very first event, our suspension was upheld. So so they have to uh, they have to pay the hundred thousand pound fine for the centurion club and there's 18 players that 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 they needed to do so so we will we will await to see when they do that because it's coming up in the next uh the next week or so that um then we uh, we have the right to look at all of the other sanctions of events that they have played without releases so we are in the you know it's like i said it's complex and it's not something that you can just do without giving it a tremendous amount of thought without talking to I've got a tournament committee meeting next week in Italy, so we'll have a tournament committee meeting on that. We've got a board meeting coming up. We've got, you know, multiple meetings we have with with our management team and talking to players. So we, um, uh, I think, I think that will come in the the next coming weeks. What we will do, but I will tell you that we are not banning the players. Um, you know, we are basically uh, you're sanctioning them for 
you know, not 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 a uh, for abandoning the rules and regulations on, on the conflicting tournament release uh, that they signed in, as as part of a member. Uh, so we will, um, I guess, we'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks as we make our decisions. It's, there's no question tied to this, but the, the irony of the situation is kind of funny to me in terms of, I wonder what the conflicting uh, event release policy is over on Live. If uh, <laughs> the company, well, I know I, the answer yeah, to that, but <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's a very, it's think, interesting what they've, uh, what they've signed up for. I want to go back to uh, the, the Malta meeting. I love the idea of labeling it kind of as the same level as the Yalta conference, but uh, what went down at that meeting for, for listeners sake, you know, who was there? What were your kind of uh, takeaways from that meeting? I know you referred to it when uh, a lot, when you and you and Jay had a, a joint press conference uh, at some point last year, but what is, what was the Malta meeting and what were your uh, takeaways from that? Uh, the Malta, the Malta meeting was with ourselves and, uh, and Gulf Saudi members of Gulf Saudi and members of the DP World Tour. And when was it, just for clarity's sake? Uh, it was back um, in 2021, and hence the reason that it was in Malta, based on the fact that that's the only place that we could get uh, without COVID restrictions in terms of travel. So that's why that's why we went. It, it, was, um, it was predominantly to talk about uh, the DP World Tour, talk a little bit about um, the Gulf Saudi, uh, new initiative that they had now taken over from Rain Capital that DP World wanted us to to hear, and DP World were our partners, uh, and they wanted us to hear what uh, what Gulf Saudi was doing, and so we went and we uh, uh, we listened. And what were they? What was their kind of pitch, or what was their plan? I know that I, I think I think I think their pitch was similar to um, you have to go back and look at what transpired in, in 2020, when uh, at that particular time, PGL, which is the Premier Golf League, uh, which had a similar, um, uh, it's really, it's really, it's, it's quite honestly, it's it's very similar to what transpired with Liv and what, what they're doing now. So we, we looked at PGL, which was run by that particular time by Rain Capital out of New York. And uh, Rain Capital, made us uh, an offer at that particular time that then we had a fiduciary responsibility to the board, I did, uh, to take that to the board. So we analyzed PGL for the next five or, yeah, the better part of five months. And, uh, and we did the exact same thing with the PGA Tour. We were analyzing if we would, we would have a partnership with the PGA Tour or whether we would go down the road of PGL or whether we would stay alone. And this was something that our board wanted us to look at closely. So uh, at the at the end of 2020, we decided to enter into a strategic alliance with the PGA Tour. At that particular time, we informed Rain Capital that we weren't gonna proceed with PGL. So by the time we get to Malta, which was six months later than that, the, the new proposition that the Saudis uh, were were uh, proposing was very similar to the PGL proposal and that we had already evaluated with our board for some five months. Hence the reason we still took that to the board um, and we took their presentation to the board, but it was it, 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 didn't, it didn't require a tremendous amount of dialogue based on the fact that the board had already analyzed a similar proposal from Rain Capital and PGL for five months back in 2020 before proceeding with the PGA tour. 
So, and then fast forwarding from that, there was, it was you know, reported, uh, this may be kind of what you're maybe referring to in the early part of this show, but at, at a, I remember at a point in June of last year that it was uh, at least insinuated by, by others that there was a decision to be made for the DP World Tour between aligning with Liv and aligning with the PGA Tour. What, what is the reality of the situation from your viewpoint? No, the reality, the reality is that that decision was made back in 2020 when we decided to proceed with the PGA tour and not, and not, uh, and not PGL, which then subsequently became SGL, Saudi Golf League, which eventually became LIV. I guess it is also maybe I've seen it out there insinuated that there was a chance for the DP World Tour to take advantage of the enormous investment that the Saudis wanted to make in golf and were not able to do that or chose not to do that. What, what's kind of the reality of that situation? Because as I understand it, there was there was not uh, they weren't like, oh, here's all this money. Do exactly what you want. Right? No, no, there wasn't that. As I said, you know, the offer, the offer or it wasn't an offer. It was a presentation, a presentation that they made in Malta was very similar to the presentation that we had just evaluated for five months with the SGL. So the 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 story of this two billion dollar deal that was on the table was in my opinion, not only in my opinion, and, and you can ask any board member was fictional. And then, so what is the timeline, I guess, of the, you know, the, there was the Saudi international was a sanctioned European tour event for several years Yeah. And around this time. What, what, what went into ending the sanctioning of that event as a DP world tour event? And does that coincide? How's that coincide with the timeline? Yeah. So we, we, um, we, we first, you know, we, we brought um, golf Saudi to the game back. We, we did a news conference in 2018 and then we had the first saudi international in 2019 and then we had it in 2020 and it really became problematic uh after after that when they were pursuing another entity uh and we had we had already at that particular time in 2021 we had just entered into a, a strategic alliance with the pga tour we were still open at that particular time um, to work with 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 Gulf Saudi, but we thought we were going to work with Gulf Saudi in a completely different way. On a uh, completely different note, uh, kind of getting into the future of the DP World Tour and the PJ Tour and the strategic alliance, what can what can viewers expect regarding co-sanctioned events? I thought the the joint Genesis Scottish Open last year was fantastic in terms of both tours benefiting, and yeah. I think we should see the top players play in UK and Ireland more than we do. I'm wondering what the uh, what what you would see in the future. I know you don't want to make too many promises, but yeah, but you know, it's 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 really interesting, Ali, like because. The there were there were you know with the strategic alliance and you're and you're in this for the long term but there were some quick wins you know the quick wins was the Genesis Scottish Open you know where we had 14 of the top 15 players in the world and there's no question that was a real boost to European golf and it was uh, it was fantastic to see and a, and a great opportunity for our members um, you know to play on the on the global stage and to and to play against the, the the best players in the in the world so it was a, it was a fantastic uh first event we also had the barracuda and barbasol and it was interesting again last week in um in japan i talked to a couple of players who thought the 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 barbasol is 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 they go you know we 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 hope to qualify for the open but if we don't we've already booked our flight to lake tahoe 
they thought that event was absolutely, you know, Tahoe, you know, you know, between Nevada and California and the golf courses in California was one of the best places they've ever played. So the Barracuda and to get 50 spots in the Barracuda and the Barbasol was another, another win. Uh, you know, Horizon came in and uh, uh, came in on the back of the PGA Tours commercial uh, deal and sponsored the Horizon Irish Open and doubled it to from three million to six million. I think what you're going to see is 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 obviously the cards are important. Obviously the 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 purses increasing are important. But from the consumer's perspective, I think you're going to see a different schedule in 2024. You're going to see a different eligibility uh, throughout the year. And we're working kind of around the clock right now with the PGA Tour. With our, with, um, with, we're starting to talk to our stakeholders and partners. It's certainly on the agenda for next week in Italy with the with the players, uh, and we we hope to announce our schedule for 2024 uh, at the Genesis Scottish Open in July this year, uh, which will be the earliest, some four or five months prior to prior to um, to to um, announcing it before. So I I, I think. Yes, there's been some quick wins, but you know everyone's looking for quick gratification all the time. And I think what we're saying is, you know, all this it took us seven months to get the Genesis Scottish Open because of the complexity of the two members' organizations. Uh, I I think I think this alliance, like I said, I think it is a it's it's phenomenal for for us and for our members, and and I think time will tell. But in the midst of competition in the midst of inflation in the midst of everything that is transpiring in global golf for us to be still in a growth mode as far as our our prize funds for our members and for the opportunities that's going to come about over the next couple of uh, uh years i think it's phenomenal i think that's a an undersold part of of all this it's a it's a footnote it is amongst people i feel like is your guys purses are guaranteed also by the pga tour that's just an enormous uh an enormous benefit in terms of anyone that had any any doubts on on what kind of footing you guys were on like it's it's guaranteed right well you know the other thing is as and and i think the the number one thing that we've done is is we've really aligned now and we've made a real big change you know, I've always thought us as 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 golf's global tour. You know, we play, you know, we play in over 40 countries, and and we have, you know, if you look at the leaderboard, there was once last week in Japan, I said to the announcer, I said, you've just announced, you know, five groups, and you've announced five different countries. You know, I was proud that Canada was in it <laughs> in it as well. So, but uh, you know, that that's kind of the magic of it. And what we've just done is, we've we've completed a deal with with india with china with korea with japan with south africa and australia so that the winner of those tours in those countries now the the winner of their order of merit get a a dp world tour card for the following year and and so we've just changed that relationship globally with all those organizations and that's that's why we were able to play in japan for the first time in 51 years because we did a deal with the japan golf tour and and what was what was uh phenomenal there was i got to spend some serious time with asai aoki you know and you know it's interesting because 
you know, he won 85 times on uh, worldwide. You know, he's a member of the World Golf Hall of Fame. But I asked him the question. I said, during your prime, how many weeks did you play a year? He said, I played 43 times a year. And I said, can you imagine now? Because the average top 10 player, I think, plays 22.7. He played 43 times a year. But it, it's, it's, that's why we were able to play in Japan. And you look at Genesis, you know, the Genesis Scottish Open and that relationship that the PGA Tour bought, uh, brought us. And they brought us Genesis. That's why we're playing in Korea. And it's called the Genesis Korea Championship this week. So um, there are so many benefits and, and the benefits are just starting because, you know, we're just, we're just getting started with the PGA Tour. This this next part is as I understand the timeline, right? We had uh, you know the 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 model that includes ten uh, PGA Tour cards for DP World Tour members. I think when that was presented, it the PGA Tour was in a different time period, right? Recently announced designated event model. Now on the PGA Tour, you know that those ten cards. But as I understood it, you can get into pretty much everything or, or a lot of the the major events. Now with the new model, I'm not positive exactly how that's going to work. There's no implication yet in terms of uh, what the yeah. qualification is going to be like. Have you have you run into any uh, any headwinds regarding your membership in the, in the changes in the designated event model on the PGA Tour? A couple of people have asked some questions, and we've explained it. You're basically going to get the exact the exact same amount that we originally thought about that you are going to going to get. I can't explain exactly why that why that is with with without. Uh, my partners of the PGA Tour, but we're we're totally comfortable with it. When you explain it to the players one on one, they're totally comfortable with it too. As I said, they're guaranteed the five hundred thousand up front, and I think they're going to get a uh, a number of playing opportunities that's going to give them a full chance to get their full card in the PGA Tour. And then there will be a fallback, uh, you know, a safety net if they're not able to keep their PGA Tour, where they can come back to the DP World Tour. And if they keep their PGA Tour card, you know, as as Rasmus Hogart said to me last week, if I if I get my card, Keith, don't worry, I'm always coming back. You know, as Bob as Bob McIntyre said, he said he goes, you know, I get top ten in the world, I get to number one in the world, right? It um, doesn't matter if the uh, the Genesis Scottish Open has a prize fund of a of a of a million million pounds, I'm playing in it every time, Keith. You know, I'm definitely coming back to support it. So it's 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 really it's actually kind of you know that narrative that's going to play out near the end of the year and then how we're going to increase that narrative next year not only on the uh, on the, the pathway to the PGA tour but what we're doing on the DP world tour is excited and I'm energized by it and uh, and I look forward to sharing that at the uh, Genesis Scottish Open later this year it's a Ryder Cup year. Uh, there's been a new uh, wrinkle thrown into it, obviously, with uh, w- with live players. I think I uh, maybe as of six months ago, I, I was under the impression or at least thought like, hey, there's no way we see any of the live players in the Ryder Cup. But as time has gone on, uh, it seems like on the U.S. side, if they qualify on points, they're going to be straight on the team. I understand it to be the same uh, as well on the yeah. DP World side. Yeah. And the captains have the, the, the possibility of selecting players. What's the reality you think of that situation? What what kind of sense do you get of what, where it's going to go? I, I think the I think the reality is that if the players, there's two criterias for to 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 get on our Ryder Cup team, um, is you need to be a a DP World Tour member and you need to qualify. I guess the third is 
Luke can make one of his six picks. And that's totally at his discretion. We are we are in no way saying that the players can't qualify. I think what what's what's the challenge that the players on live are going to have is they they have to play so many events on the other tour. So those are up against our events, so they're not going to have the opportunity to get as many points. And then depending upon what happens to the sanctions, it's going to make it more difficult. So I think it's going to be more difficult for them to qualify. Uh, so then it really comes down to how well they play in the respective majors and you know how the respective captains believe that A, they're in form and B, it will be a positive vibe with the chemistry for those respective teams. I, I, I have, this, this will be my, you know, fourth Ryder Cup. And uh, I, I have never and will not influence any of the captain's picks, even if I wanted to influence them. <laughs> let's, be, let's be real, it isn't going to happen anyways. Uh, so it's really up to, it's really up to Luke. And from my understanding, I have not talked to the PGA of America and, and Seth Waugh about this, but from my understanding, it's up to Zach Johnson as well. So I guess we will, uh, that'll play out. The, the reality is, you know, Italy is going to be something incredibly special. And I, be, I believe, and I always have believed that the Ryder Cup is a brand that is that is bigger than the players uh now there may become a a time when when if all the players aren't able to play then then that's that's a different but right but right now it's it's definitely it's 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 bigger it's the brand is so large it's such a big event it's going to be absolutely monumental in italy where we're we're definitely going to be beyond sold out and we 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 just wish there were more matches and we could sell more tickets because you can only sell so many tickets when there's only four matches going on. But Italy is going to be epic. Let me let me roll out this hypothetical. And I know you you mentioned earlier that you haven't fully decided on what the sanction activity is going to be going forward for a lot of these players. But as I understand it, to be on the Ryder Cup team, you still need to be a DP World Tour member. So if you retain your membership and continue to play and live, you are liable to be sanctioned, liable to be to be fined every time you play one of those without a conflicting event release, right? So in theory, you would think that that would mean players forfeiting their membership uh, rather than continually be fined. So do you see that as a potential, you know, know, kind of not necessarily forcing players into committing, you know, giving up their membership, but a situation where players are incentivized to do that and thus become uh, no longer Ryder Cup eligible? Well, nothing has been definitively determined in terms of the sanctions, in terms of the penalties, and in terms of the fines. Um, But at the end, it's the player's choice. They have they they will they will have a choice. That I can tell you. So if they choose to to leave membership, then yeah, it's 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 that's disappointing. But it'll be their choice. It was their choice to to leave and play for a, a, a competitive tour. Um, we respect the fact that that that's a decision that they made. Uh, we do also understand it comes with consequences, but you know, it is, it is undeniably unquestionably going to be their choice. 
I don't, I'm not quite positive how to how to ask this question other than to acknowledge it, it's what it's you know ask you what it's been like seeing some guys that who have no doubt have had incredibly positive impact on the European Tour and DB World Tour over the years turn around and and constantly either attempt to dunk or on the PGA Tour and DP World Tours, sue the tours, light bridges on fire on their way out. I mean, Sergio Garcia's comments last year at the BMW International saying, this tour is blank, you guys are all blanks, you should have taken the Saudi money and have these very public uh, fights and spats with a tour that has been good to them and they have been good to over the years. I'm just curious your perspective on that, what, what it's been like to, to watch that kind of unfold. Um. Well, I think that's been disappointing to myself and to the entire staff and all the players. I mean, and well, a lot of the players, but all the staff that have worked with these players for years and years and years. That's what I would say. They're 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 disappointed. Um, I think what I said earlier is is the way that I would describe the majority of membership. The majority of membership understand you know, why they, why they went. But the majority of membership also feel that they shouldn't come back and cherry pick an event. And they also think that it's two-way street. You know, they, they, they were, they were really key players here on the DP World Tour for many years. But at the same time, the DP World gave them their opportunity. They provided a platform for them to get sponsors, for them to get into majors, for them to, in fact, you know, get into live. Look, at, there's a couple of players that that are on live that will go unmentioned, but, you know, played a long time on the tour and only in recent success allowed them to get the opportunity to play for game-changing money. And, and, so I, I would I would say, Sully, that that has probably been the biggest disappointment to myself, my management team, our staff and our board, is that people that that gave you know so much and we gave so much to them because it was definitely a two-way street, it's not a one-way street. You know, um, these Ryder Cup players, the Ryder Cup provided them a platform that changed their lives. And for them to to tell us how we should be running the tour, to be saying some things that are derogatory is just, yeah, I'm just I'm just disappointed by it, as is our staff. And I keep coming right back to it's not about me. It's about it's about the staff. Right. It's about that jersey, the same names on the on the back. So if they criticize myself, I'm totally fine with that. But they're criticizing our entire tour by criticizing me. And that's all the staff that worked with them for so many years. And that's unfair. That's the part that just feels unnecessary. And has been a turnoff for a golf fan like myself. It's like, honestly, the way, and I know he's not a DP World Tour member, but the way Dustin Johnson's gone about it doesn't bother me. He's just going and playing his golf, keeping his mouth shut. And like everyone understands why he made that decision. Uh, it, it just kind of blows my mind to the people that, you know, that want to have it both ways and are, are fine lighting their reputations on fire. Well, like I said, you know, like, like, like nobody handled it with more class than Louis Eustace, you know, and I think Louis has influenced a lot of the South African players 
who have been phenomenal. Uh, but Louie called me and he said, Keith, what do you think I should do? You know, I, I, I want to thank you for everything you've you've provided to the, the tour. You know, uh, I'm going to to do this. He wrote me a, a, a letter. He wasn't going to play a lot anyways. So, um, you know, nothing but class. I have nothing but but class for a number of them. But there are others that 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 I, I just I just go, hmm. you know, it's just it's just not right. It's just not right. Well, and the hard part is for someone like Louis or for DJ is, you know, now they're part of a tour that by association is is taking action against other tours and the OWGR and the majors and all that. So, it's, you know, they're a part of an organization that even if they aren't necessarily the voices behind it are uh, yeah. are, are creating a lot of headache yeah. for, for a lot of the other organizations. I do yeah. got to ask about the OWGR. There's, uh, you know, a lot of you, you're on the board. A lot of talk about live getting OWGR points and, you know, do you guys need to recuse yourself from that process? All that. I think there's still a lot of confusion amongst golf fans as to how, yeah. what the OWGR is for and how it all works. But I'm curious your perspective on the the future of, of live getting uh, OWGR points. Well, as you know, that decision is not mine because yep. we've, we've, uh, I've recused myself as is commissioner Jay Monahan, as is uh, Keith Waters, who represents the international tours and is also our chief operating officer. So that decision will be made by the four majors, um, but they will they will just in the past, you know, follow the process. They'll follow the process that we have done for for many years, and that is is the technical committee uh, evaluates the the um, uh, the application via a very extensive criteria, and. Uh, you know, then they they inform the board and they give the board their recommendation. So it really comes down to the technical committee and the four majors going forward. The DP World Tour seems to have taken a bit of a hit when it comes to the latest iteration of the World Golf Rankings. Is that something you've heard from your membership and kind of what's your reaction to that? Well, I think that yeah, sure, I've heard that, and and was was part of the the board that solicited an independent study from four universities to look at the accuracy of the OWGR, which took about two years and unanimously they came to the decision that it wasn't accurate. Now with a new system, so we put a new system in. Now with a new system, there's always um, challenges. And, and as a result, we're looking at some modifications of it that would help some of the, like the, the, the DP World Tour you know, when you look at this particular week, um, you know, Lucas Herbert won. He was 59th in the world. He's now 42nd. So so it really it really is is some of the real smaller tours, the ones that I've just mentioned, who now have uh, a great pathway to us, India, China, you know, Japan, Korea, South Africa and Australia. Um, we 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 are looking at at that as well. The other thing you have to look at when you look at the OWGR is is what is the main goal of the main of the OWGR one is the sponsorship obviously if you get inside the top 100 from some of the manufacturers but that is getting lower and lower and lower and it, it is it is concentrating on the on the elite players more than it has before so the the other is how do you get into the majors and you know we have a phenomenal pathway into the Open Championship. We have a great pathway into the U.S. Open, uh, thanks to the Mike Wan and the and the USGA. 
uh, and, and Martin Slumbers and the RNA were working through those with Augusta and, uh, and the PGA Championship. And hopefully uh, we'll have a solution to that in the, uh, in the coming months. Last one, I'll get you out of here on this one. Maybe maybe one of the harder ones I've asked you so far today. Any regrets from the last uh, year, two years, three years? If you could kind of go back in time and say, I wish I'd have known this. I wish I'd have done this different. I'm curious your perspective on that. Wow, that's, a, that's an excellent question. Um, you know, I if, if I went back and looked backwards, yeah, there's probably some things that I probably could find that I've learned and that I would do differently. But, you know, I'm from the school of thought that you always have to look forward. And 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 right now, with everything that's happening, I don't have time to look back. <laughs> I've got only time to look forward. And I barely have enough hours in the days to look forward. So, um, you, you, listen, my philosophy is, is you've got to make decisions you're going to make some right decisions. You're going to make some wrong decisions and your success is going to be determined on the fact that you make more right decisions than wrong decisions. So we will, um, you know, time, time will tell uh, if I could have done some things differently, but I believe that we're looking forward now. We've got a wonderful partner in the PGA tour. That one I am, I am uh, definitively uh, in in violent agreement with all of my executive leadership team and the board that we made the right decision and the right partner with the PGA tour. Now we just have to grow our business with them and um, I'll, I'll continue to look forward, not backwards. Wonderful answer. Wonderful answer. <laughs> you nailed it. So, all right. Thanks so much for your time, man. I'm really glad you, I'm glad you could talk now because this was a very enlightening conversation and look forward to, uh, to doing this again in the future. Listen, congratulations on all your success at no laying up and, uh, I look forward to uh, seeing you next week because I hear you're, uh, you're coming to Italy. We will see you there. Can't wait for it. Thanks. Appreciate the time, Keith. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different?